This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. And good afternoon. Welcome to the afternoon here on 3RRR. It's an outstanding winter's day out there in Melbourne town. So um, no matter what you're doing, I hope you're enjoying it. And it sounds like you're uh, somehow also listening to the mighty Triple R FM on this fine day. And good on you for doing that. Thanks, of course, to the scientists who uh, just gave us 60 minutes of their cerebral um, empowerment, so to speak. And uh, we're talking food this hour, as we do. My name is Matt Stedman. Uh, Eat It is the name of the program. And uh, my partner in crime, Cam Smith... Look, sometimes we, we allow him outside the studio on a Sunday. We allow him to roam free around this great land of ours. And today, uh, I think we're finding him in Bendigo. If I push this button, Cameron, how are you? Where are you? And most importantly, have you caught many Pokemon in Bendigo? Thank you very, very much, Matt. Yes, um, uh, yeah, I'm free range. Yes. Uh, it's really, really good. Uh, they've opened up the cage. Thank you, Matt, for letting the cage no, uh, open. Um, so that he can clean it out for me when they do yes. put me back. Hose it right uh, out, but, yeah. <laughs> yes, but you no, know, free ranging. Um, here I am once again mm. at the Bendigo Festival of Lamb. So I'm here at, uh, I'm, I'm actually standing, uh, yes, right. at Could the, in the, uh, well, not quite the middle. I'm looking at the oval where all the sheep dogs are sort of doing their thing. Yeah. Uh, but, I'm here at the Sheep Show here in Bendigo at the old showgrounds. It's very old school and it's very ace. Yeah. Um, and then if I turn around 180 degrees, I look at a tent. It's quite a large marquee. Bendigo Festival of Lamb. Yeah. It actually seems to get bigger and better, and that sounds like such a cliche and such a PR speak, but it is true. Um, it gets better and better every year. So this year um, we have the inclusion of... Um, a Turkish area doing the Goslemi. Oh, actually, no, hang on. I've just done a demonstration and I was given the right pronunciation. Goslemi. Goslemi. Can you make a Goslemi? Uh, no, although I've had a, a very nice one at your place once. You, you rocked the Yeah, Gozlemi. that's right. I made it for you, haven't I? Yeah. Well, um, it's insane watching these people make it because they don't use rolling pins. Um, <laughs> they use what are known as Bunnings rolling pins, which yeah, right. is a broomstick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And it is uh, it is a very skillful art, but the thing is that's kind of amazing is it's a really easy thing to make. If you can make a dough mm. and roll it out and put some fillings in, you've got a griddle to fry it on, mm. you've got it. So anyway, been doing that, lots of demonstrations. Um, undoubtedly, I reckon the highlight is going to be uh, someone you've met and yes. have eaten the food of, Nick Anthony from... From Masons of Bendigo, they're in the, in the main street. That is an awesome, awesome restaurant. If you um, if you live in Melbourne and you haven't actually trekked out to Bendigo, I encourage you, urge you, I think it's really well worth the trip to go and uh, eat some of Nick's food. There's lots of really good things in Bendigo. It's a really great regional city that has this wonderful mixture of old, glorious Victorian buildings and a new contemporary sensibility. Those two things mean the same thing, but you know what I mean. Would you agree with that? I would indeed, yeah. And the good thing about Bendigo is, too, it's, um, it's only, what, about... It's about a two-hour drive. How long did it take you to get out Two hours. Yeah. And it's a pretty, yeah, two hours. It's a pretty and nice drive, also, Can you take a train to Bendigo? I forget. You can. Oh, you can, can you? You can indeed, yeah, yes. Yeah. So you can, you can take a train, um, come and, and do that. But, you know, it's, it's just 
been marvellous. It really, really has. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm away for that, but we should probably talk about what we've got on the show. Yeah, I guess for those of us uh, still here in Melbourne, uh, we've still got a good hour of food for you ahead. So do you want to talk a little bit about Leo and, and your chat with him? Yeah, I will. Um, Leo Donati um, is the gentleman in question. He has recently been made a legend, <laughs> something which I don't think he's really into, to be honest with you. Um, but no, he's been made a legend, and quite rightly so, of the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. And why is he a legend? Why I is he a legend? Scream. Why is this so? Yeah. Um, he's a on com- um, an uncommon butcher in probably one of the most amazing butcher shops I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, as we go into the interview, he's, he's someone who'll never die wondering, would be the best way to describe it. Um, but here is a butcher that likes listening to Wagner, who digs Philip Glass, yes. Einstein on the beach, whose butcher shop is surrounded by just amazing art. And he is someone who has lived and breathed in... Ligon Street and seeing the changes that have happened. He talks about his life as an early migrant, which was pretty tough, yep. to be honest with you, uh, but has endured to be a legend, yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh, but a, a fixture of Ligon Street. And also interesting in the fact that he, in the days of when supermarkets have sort of swallowed up the suburban butchers around this country, mm. let's say, he has endured, survived, and thrived. Which is a good thing. We encourage So, um, I had an amazing interview with him in that he took me to this, well, a secret restaurant in Carlton <laughs> would be the only way that I could describe it. And um, we ate well, and yes. then I sort of pointed this device that I have for recording people, yeah. and he was kind enough to uh, to chat to us, and it's really about his life and being in Australia and his thoughts about um, doing what he does. Yeah. So, that's, so, the, yeah, uh, so it, that's the main part of the show, and then, you know what, sometimes uh, when you're working a little bit hard, you kind of cheat, and sometimes you just don't really feel like cooking, so you, just, you grab something out of the freezer. You just grab yes. a reheat meal. So what we thought we'd also do uh, to round out today's show is um, earlier this year... But it's was, a delicious meal. It's a delicious, delicious meal. In yes. fact, some meals taste better the second time around, I would say to you. I'm, just, I'm yes. really, really running with this metaphor now, aren't I? Yeah, go, uh, go over earlier, that. <laughs> earlier in the year, we spoke to uh, author and uh, cook and TV guy Adam Liao, and we're going to uh, replay that because it's a really interesting perspective on um, his approach to cooking and how that's evolved... Uh, as he's done more and more of it and released more cookbooks. So um, that'll round out the show uh, whilst you're roaming around Bendigo. King. And, yeah, and, and dare I say it, that I'm... I was, it's a... Uh, is it a man crush that maybe I have with Adam and it sort of comes through in the interview and I yeah. think I say, will you speak to us again? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, watch, watch out for that like in the giddy, interview. Like giddy excited children... Yes, it's all Yeah, it, 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 it certainly was. So, yeah, Leo Donati and Adam Liao, and I suppose that's an interesting reflection on we as Australia, that you've got sort of two sides of, um, or nationalities of, um, of the migrant experience who have kept us fed 
and happy and thinking about food and in Leo's case, art yes. and uh, and music too. And I and I think that's a, that's a really good thing. Yeah, so I, I hope you enjoy the interview and. Uh, I'd probably better just sign off from uh, the Bendigo Festival of Lamb because uh, Nick Anthony is going to be on pretty soon from yep. Mason's. And uh, I think he's doing two different types of dumpling. Mm -hmm. A sticker dumpling, lamb, of course, yes. and uh, some steamed dumpling. But because it's, uh, it's Nick, they'll be embellished and made beautiful of all sorts of lovely garnishes and things. Well, that sounds excellent. I should let you go and do that. And we uh, should hit play on the Leo interview. Uh, you know what? I think we'll pay some mortgage and we'll do it after this. See you, Cam. Thanks, Matt. All right, it's coffee time here, ladies and gentlemen. I'm um, in the presence of someone kind of special, uh, a butcher of formidable substance who's in a butchery that is pretty much like no other in Melbourne. I'm speaking to Leo Donati, and thank you very, very much for making the time to have a chat to me. You're welcome. That's uh, very, very kind. We've just, um, we've just eaten well in, um, in, I don't know, maybe we call this a secret location uh, around Carlton. But I wanted to talk to you about your life and, and working within Ligon Street. First of all, yeah, si, parlo italiano, because you, you are Italian. Si. Um, where, where originally are you from, the Donatis? What's, what's their story in this country? Well, we're Italians from a region called Friuli, which is northeast, borders with Slovenia and Austria. So north of the Po? Yes. Yes. And east. Mm. Where were the, if you like, the northern Sicilians, the Sicilians of the north. The, the butter-eating Sicilians of the north? Exactly. Ah. And the butt of everyone's joke. Yeah. <laughs> We've been, you know, polenta eaters, yeah. We produce more migrants than anyone else, except mm. for the Sicilians. So, hence, the, uh, I call them the Sicilians of the North. Yes, but we're a very proud region, and no olive oil. And no olive oil. No, it's no, all no. about the butter. Butter, yeah. dairy. Yeah, dairy. So it's cheese and butter. Mm. Absolutely. And you're also the rice eaters of the north as well? We eat a lot of rice. <laughs> yeah. Seafood. We eat everything. <coughs> Sauerkraut that, yeah. you know, it starts to disappear as you go south. Mm. And so the journey here to this country, about as far away I know. as you can get from Italy anywhere, how did, how did you end up here with your family? It's, it's a very long story. But we came in, we left in 55 and arrived in 1956. 56? Yeah, in December. So just for the Olympics? No, no. <laughs> what were you doing? Were you economics, <laughs> where we were enumerate and illiterate, mm. according to Mr. Dutton. Mm. But we arrived and we learned English, it seemed to me, like in three weeks. Mm. So it was without special schools or we just arrived somebody said you have to go to a catholic school yeah. mum and dad said yes so which fortunately it was around the corner mm. in north Fitzroy. so the school was st john's st thomas's in clifton hill and in three weeks we were fluent in english mm. and then we took over and we decided to go to a state school. 
the secondary school, gotcha. Collingwood Tech. Mm. And because of the long holidays in summer, Dad, who worked in Carlton, got all of his son's jobs to keep him off the streets and out of trouble. Yes. Me in the butcher w- was shop. Was he successful? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. We were good boys. Yeah. And my older brother in a grocer shop, which were, then we had grocer shops, yeah. the late 50s, early 60s, and me in the butcher shop. Mm. So I was, and I just, uh, it suited me down to the ground. So much so that I didn't want to go back to school. Yeah. But I finished uh, Form 3 and... Uh, Thank you very much. Bought the shop. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> At the age of 18, uh, yeah. So you went into Ligon Street? In Elgin Street. Right? Oh, Elgin Street was yes. originally the, the one you went into. Yes. And as then... As a wash-up, uh, clean-up boy. Yeah. As a little... 13-year-old. The, the, I think the Aussies call it the roustabout. Roustabout. Yeah. Well, Keep moving. Yeah, Keep yeah. working. Yeah, just um, part-time, plus every holiday. School holidays and every time I had a spare. And I just loved the atmosphere. Everyone spoke Italian then. It was unbelievably... And that's where I learned a lot of Italian history and... Mm. And to speak Italian fluently, yeah, properly. Oh, properly uh, with uh, not no dialects. Well, without yeah, yeah, because of so many different dialects. Yeah, because that's there is the dialect that everyone speaks with their friends and family, and and then there's the proper Italian that you speak to authority or to speak to strangers. It, it's funny you speak to some Italians and they'll talk about something. Oh, they speak Italian so well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they speak it so good. So in in 1972, you took over the uh, the place in Ligon Street that bears your name. Correct. How did that come to be? Well, I was uh, what's the word conscripted into the Australian Army. Oh, wait, for Vietnam. For Vietnam. Bloody hell, I didn't know. Sixty-nine or seventy-one, two years. Oh my God. The height of the Tet Offensive. The height of the Vietnam War. Anyway, I was fortunate that uh, my unit, they asked for volunteers and there were enough people to go that I didn't even have to think about. So I came out in 1971. Unfortunately, Goff came in a year too late for me. If only. If only. only. Where were you when we needed you? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. When Leo needed you. Anyway, so... and by then I had to sell my shop. I was trying to run it from Pacapano. Yeah, right. So the government owes me a butcher shop. So, seventy-one, uh, I got married. We went overseas for nine months. Came back in seventy-two uh, with two children. I had twin daughters. Yep. Born in Bergamo, so Bergamasque. Mm. And I came back here and started working in where I am now, in Ligon Street. And in no time, I, it was offered to me and I bought it. But so what was so we're talking about 1972, yeah. um, a year when I think I first came to Melbourne, so we have something similar there. What was Carlton like in the 1970s? How, how is it different from today? It was exciting. Everything was possible. You had 
you had this belief that you could do almost anything you wanted. Mm. You could leave a job today and get another one tomorrow. You could change careers, you could change... Everything was seemed possible. Plus you had the university, that was exciting. You had the La Mama, you had the Pram Factory, you had actors, you had... Because Carlton in the 1970s was... It was full of people of bohemian class, yeah. of artists, of poets, yeah, yeah. of... It was an interesting, eclectic mix of people. They had lots lots to say. Yeah. And said it. Nothing... They weren't uh, gagged or no. kept quiet or shut up or... Mm. They were. And that's what was exciting. Yeah. And they would argue amongst themselves. <laughs> you know, not everyone agreed. Fair enough. Yes. <laughs> There were lots of, uh, yeah, the, the different factions of all the parties. Mm. Uh, students. Uh, but, but this was sort of the way that I sort of see Carlton is that it was, that by then the Italian had already stamped their, author- stamped themselves within the area that had become an Italian area. And within this area, because it was the inner city, which wasn't the inner city that we see today that is so expensive and so unattainable for so many people. This was the place of promise. This was a place to come, uh, a place of ideas and art and food and ethnicity mixing. It would have been an amazing, heady mix. Yes, uh, but the the migrant has has, uh, a huge burden to be a success. Mm. It's almost like he hasn't been a success where he comes from. So he then migrates and he has to prove doubly to his family, to himself, to uh, that, you know, he can make it in the world. Mm. So he strives, he works hard, he saves, and he buys a house and then maybe two. But then to prove that, you know, he, he can make it. It's the second chance given, isn't it? Or taken, because they haven't been forced to come here. No. They come here willingly. Yeah. To to show that, yeah. So there's that... So the migrants that came in the 50s for 20 years didn't do holidays or or take time off or... But that was true of, you know, from 1950 to 1970, nothing happened. Mm. Everyone worked hard. And, and what was the food like then? Always interesting. I had yeah. this question. <laughs> we always ate well. I mm. can't remember any time that we didn't eat well. But uh, my mother was uh, a reasonably good cook. Father was fantastic cook. Limited, but what he cooked was never the same twice, but yeah. exciting and never uh, a chore, never a, you know... A drudgery, or always with joy, and he did. He, as he put it, he did the important shopping, all the food shopping. Mm. He went to the butcher, hence my job. That's how he met uh, the grocer, the the green grocer. It was his his uh, choice to do that shopping. Yeah, but I, I understand that, Leo. That you say, yeah, we always work well, but. <laughs> Of course you did. You're Italians. Italians well, always wait. But no, no, no. But my question was: it's sort of like the 
here is this island of Italy floating in a sea of the Anglosphere. What was the interaction like between the Italianos and the Skippies, I suppose, sort of around? Well, it was uh, one of antagonism. And suspicion, yeah. Well, they, yeah, they, they didn't like it. There was still suspicion. Absolutely. You know, when they heard you speak Italian, why don't you speak English? You're not in Wogland now. Yeah. If I've been called, <coughs> I don't know how many times I've been called a wog, a dago, mm. and it just made me stronger. And the worst thing that used to really annoy me, every time you started to win an argument, they say, if you don't like it, why don't you go back where you came from? Go back where you came from. I could, it's it's, it's, it's something that we still hear now, isn't it? Go back where you came from if you don't mm. like it. Like mm. you... You have to accept everything that they tell you or that is presented to you because otherwise go back where you came from. But, yeah, like I remember growing up in Melbourne at that time, it was like there was a suspicion of garlic. There was there was a suspicion even of white socks, for God's sake, remember? (laughs) Yes, everything. (laughs) Yeah, slim pants, pointy shoes... Slick hair, mm. you know, everything was was uh, was was you know put down and and laughed at and yeah. Have a look at the nineteen fifties photos of you know the the people in Australia. What are they called? The short back and sides. Short back and sides. The collar over the 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 shirt collar over the the coat collar, kit bag in the hand. So, you know, I was, if if anything, it just reinforced that I was, it made me stronger rather than, Mm. didn't didn't make me want to, it just made me more more convinced that I was, you know, I was living a, a good life. At home, we, 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 we always ate with a tablecloth. Always. We can't eat without a tablecloth. Well, tablecloths, we, we always, you know, had... So we didn't, and we didn't come from living in caves or, you know... <laughs> I don't know what people yes. thought. We were, we were, even though we were poor, we were sophisticated. So I always knew that. Sort of talked about in the in the intro of butcher of great substance in a in a butchery like no other in this town. The one thing, if you've never been to Donati's, is that the art that is on the walls is incredible. How did that start? Well, I spend a lot of time in the shop, so it's rather than keep it at home, I take it to work, mm. and and so it, it's virtually faces me so I can look at it. It's, it's for me. It is for you. And but, rather than the, the customers. But isn't the... From what I heard, and you can tell me if this is apocryphal or not, but a lot of this art has come from your dealings with the artistic classes. Correct. You know, we talk yes, about yes, the starving yes. artists and you were well, surrounded by them. Well, I haven't, yeah. Well, maybe the ones who I need was, a little bit of help. I was starving too. <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, we've become friends. It's, it's, you know, it's when you know someone is interested, then, then you know, you show interest back, interest back, or appreciate, or you know, it becomes a a, a comment, or it becomes a, 
a nice uh, thing. Yeah, we'll be yeah. So, so is it true that you friends. sort of have helped out people that same people who haven't no. gone? No, no, no. So, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not a saviour. You're not yeah. a saint. No, <laughs> I haven't helped out. I mean, you know, it's whatever I've bought, of you know, it's a proper commercial. They buy meat. I buy. Ah, I'll get your own afterwards. <laughs> and have it's you got not, um, what? What are your favourite pieces in the shop? Oh. Different things for different times, or mm. yeah. You're going. You're going to Bendigo. Mm. Go to the gallery. Yeah, across the road from Warren right. Bank, which we yeah, said yeah, was yeah, both yeah. a place All we right. enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. There's there's uh, Sebastian Di Mauro mm. Rotunda. Yes. In the in outside the the entrance there, inside though. Yeah. The inner inner garden there. Yes. Have a look at that. Have a look at that, because I've got one as well. Not the same thing, but mm. a piece by him. So that's... I like that. There's oh. Something that always interests me, there's, there's, this edifice that you've been looking... This, this building that you've been looking at for... Since 1972. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Watson's. It was... It, yeah. you, you, did you see the renovation take place? No. No, no I, came, I came when it was already no. done, Yes. So I can't remember it as uh, Victorian shops, but it's always it's always it was super, super smart and ahead of its time, and still is. Except now it's disappeared a bit. It used to be with nothing in front of it. Yeah, it used to look fantastic. And who designed that building? Uh, Robin Boyd. One of the Boyds, the royal, Boyd. royalty of um, yeah, Australian yeah, art. My the, God, yes. So that's been fantastic to look at. Mm. And people come in and say, tell me that it's not a fantastic building. It's not the best building in Lygon Street. It's fine. Well, I mean, I, cool, you know, yeah. I said it's the best building. I can say whatever I want. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to yeah, be right. Like I'm right for me. If they don't like it, that's fine. That's valid. That's there, yeah. yeah. That's, that's they can a- like another building. And in that time of looking across at that building, how is, has the nature of what you sold in your shop changed? Uh, like, I suppose we're talking about fashions and... Small, yeah, to a small degree, but we still sell the whole carcass. So, you know, it's the same meat. You, you just maybe cut it a little bit different, but it's, yeah, it's the same. It's, a, you know, a, a carcass of beef has got the same cuts it had... Uh, a thousand, two thousand years ago, it hasn't grown anything new. It's just the, the, the way that maybe the oh. population cook it, I suppose. In the yeah, but you, people you, have you, sort of moved towards cooking meat quicker than quicker. You can yeah. cook it slower, you know. This, but it's uh, yeah, and popularity. You know, some cuts become more popular, less popular, but it's the same cuts. Because I think one of the things the meat industry did in the, oh, maybe not so, in in the recent part when they sort of went for this whole lean meat sort of thing well, and take not, away the fat. That's not the meat industry. I think that, that might be the the authorities, you know, like the Heart Foundation and, you know, concerned people mm. that, you know... But they've shot themselves in the foot because the the fat and the connective tissue is where the flavour is, huh? They knew that, Mm. but they couldn't say that. They couldn't say eat fat. 
Yeah. You're going to die, but, you know, everyone dies. <laughs> you're going to die from something. <laughs> In regards to the shop and the, you know, the time you've spent there, I mean, it's, what is it, about 44 years? Correct, something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. And In this shop, and, you know, another, what's that, another six, seven, eight years. years eight years around the corner, yeah. 150 metres. Yeah. But you've sort of, you've, you've, I guess what I, you've lived your life through this whole thing of, of Ligon Street from yeah. being an outside place in the inner city full of, as we said, you know, an artistic, some interesting people yes, around the place. Yes. And now it's so expensive that a lot of those people would never be able to afford to live right. here now, would they? Correct. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, the nature of change. Exactly. And, you know, it's, how do you stop that? You can't well, stop you can't. it. It no, just you, happens. You, you just have to watch you it and you try to make, make sense of it. You can't make it happen. You can't stop it. When, yeah. when I was here, when I was in Elgin Street, there were nine butcher shops in Ligon oh, Street. Yeah, yeah. So from the, 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 you know, 1970, there were nine butcher shops in four blocks. They've all gone. Not only here, they're all butcher shops. Oh, Every strip shopping centre used to have a butcher shop. Yes. And that's all gone. That's, and that's a thing of our past, well, isn't that's, it? Yeah, people say, oh, it's more convenient to go to a supermarket. You know, I can do, well, yeah, no, I park true. the car, well, yeah, forever. Yeah. They're doing it. Mm. They can say, oh, it wasn't me, but they, <laughs> they're, me. All, yeah. well, they're all doing it. They go to the supermarket, they can park the car, they can buy everything, they pay with a credit card. Mind you, everyone's got a credit card now, but, Mm. you know, the butchers were probably one of the last. And fruit shops to pay with credit cards. The market still doesn't have credit cards. Surely you must have thought about it. It's like, well, how come I'm one of the ones left standing after this... This has happened, this decimation of the, you know, the sawdust-on-the-floor suburban butcher... (laughs) <laughs> Maybe I'm... Um, I don't know. I haven't got a plan B. <laughs> and I haven't wanted to go anywhere else. Yeah. I'm comfortable here. Uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm sure a lot of other places well, thought the same thing. How come you've survived? Well, hard work. Yeah. I work six days a week. Uh, from seven in the morning till six o'clock at night? Well, open. Six from, to six. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sunday I have a day off. Uh, Vivian, my wife, helps in the shop in the morning. She does all the bookwork. My son Marcello is a butcher, a butcher architect. So he does, yeah, yeah, he's, he works full time and he does a bit of architecture That's a nice on the mix. side. Yeah, he quite enjoys it. That's the foot in two good camps, though. Absolutely. You know, he's a lucky, lucky boy. Yeah. There. So he's, yeah, he's. Doing a few little projects. What's his name? Marcello. Marcello. Yeah. Good, on, good on you, Marcello. One more thing. So tell me, what is good, good music? And well, good music is what I like. And I've been there long enough that I can put on what I like. Yeah, well, you should I control like the playlist by now. Yeah, <laughs> by now I know I've got the button. Mm. I've moved it to near where I stand so I can control the volume and the... The CD choice. A CD player plays, it's got six CDs, so I can go for... Oh, you got a stacker? Yeah, a stacker. Oh, okay. So yeah. I can go for 
a whole day, depending on the CDs. Yeah, keep working, we don't have to change the music. Yeah, don't change, change the music, it's fine. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've never noticed the music in the shop. Oh. Oh, really? Really? No. Wow. That's because when I go in there, I'm talking myself. Yeah, about yourself. <laughs> you got to, you know, there are other things, but Choco. No, really, I never have. <sighs> I might have talked about some got... of the other guys. Yeah, it's a beautiful area when I came here. Yeah, Valkyrie. Oh. Beautiful. Mm. And it stays on. The, the, the more you play it, I get like addicted. It becomes hypnotic. The more you play it, the more you want to hear it. I, I'm talking about myself. And the others just stop complaining because uh, it doesn't, work, it doesn't anyway. work anyway. I don't want to hear Elvis Presley or... Your last meal. If on earth what, what would be your last meal that you'd want well I've never I've never would it be something really simple or something yeah. amazing and who's playing the music I've been well it'd have to be Wagner I knew yeah okay yeah. Yeah. the whole 16 and a half hours ok might as well go for a while this is going to be a long well, dinner I yeah you don't have to die in a hurry lately Vivian's been cooking some beautiful chimerirape Mm. Spaghetti with chimichurri, with hot chilies and a bit of garlic. Mm. So simple, and uh, parmesan cheese on top. Mm. Happy. Um. Yeah. What are you going to drink? And some bread. Yeah. And it's great. Marcello has it with sausages. There's a million. You're going to have dessert. You're going to have the creme caramel. Now. No. 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 You last me. We don't. No. 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 I don't like uh, dessert. No. Neither do I. Yeah. Also, it's not an Italian thing. Yeah, it's, it's, mm. it's what I said. Um, it's an it Italian thing. in mid-afternoon. Yeah, but very, you have it maybe at Christmas, Easter, mm. maybe when yeah. it's a, you know, a wedding. But because an Italian meal is so, but, yeah, so You have fruit. Itself. You don't need, yeah. You have fruit. You have, you have cheese and fruit. Leo, thank you so much for indulging me with your time. Leo, just give me the wind-ups thing again. We've got to stop now. We're stopping this. This has been too long. I have to go back to... I know. I'm going to walk back with you. Um, I've had lunch with... This has been a lovely experience. Thank you so much. Congratulations on being a legend of the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. I just thought I'd make you cringe at the end. Thank you very much. Thank, thank Thank you for your time. Yes, they are 12.43 and 20 seconds past the hour here on Triple R. I hope your afternoon is going uh, going as good as the weather. It's still nice out there. Get out there and enjoy it. Thanks again to uh, Leo Donati. Obviously, an extended chat um, about his history and uh, and his travels around uh, Melbourne Town and Carlton. Anyway, uh, we thought we'd um, finish off the show with um, an interview actually first played earlier this year. So it was about April when the weather was a little bit warmer, um, probably still recovering from a Easter chocolate hangover, and we finally got on the show someone we've been sort of trying to speak to for the last couple of years, a guy who uh, I guess started out through one of the big reality TV shows, um, cooking uh, on and getting famous through um, MasterChef, and then moved on to cookbooks and authoring and uh, an excellent series of TV shows on SBS as well. I'm talking, of course, about Adam Liao. And look, rather than me bang on about our speak, uh, chat to him, why don't we just hit play? Ladies and gentlemen, Adam Lau. Hello. Hey, he's there. Wow, just like magic. <laughs> isn't, isn't technology an amazing it thing? It, it works. works. The best laid plans. The best laid plans are up to go anew. That was, uh, that was Robbie Burns, but they've gone really, really well today. And uh, the first thing I want to do, Adam, I want to thank you for writing cookbooks. 
Thank you. Thank you. No, you're welcome. No, quite, quite seriously. It's, it's like um, I get given a lot of books, and uh, I've got a lot of books in my, uh, in my library after doing the show for a little while. But do you know what? Your book looks like a disgrace. <laughs> it really does. It's got rings of stuff on it. I'm referring to Big Pot. Um, and I've got to say, it is one of my favourite um, books that I have in in my library. So, big thanks to Thank you, buddy. You. Thank uh, you. I, mean, I, I do write cookbooks so that they're used rather than than sitting on a shelf. So I'm very gratified to know that that it's that it's working. Or as uh, Matt and I were talking about earlier in the show, artfully displayed on a coffee table. <laughs> yes, there are there are some cookbooks that do that. First of all, just let's give some people an idea, a bit of background to yourself. Um, Oh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Free kick. Oh, jeez. Where do you start? Um, where, where do I start? Let's, you know, start, let's I, uh, start with you living with, what about grandma? Maybe we'll talk a bit about that. Can we anchor you in that? That might be a, a sure, good sure, thing to start off with. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I come from a big big family, and uh, it's it's a blended family, so it, it at times was small, at times it's very big, at times got very small again, and so <laughs> yeah. I guess my, my cooking history has been through a number of phases, up until about the age of 14 or so, I mainly lived with uh, my parents and my grandmother, who my grandmother was a fantastic cook, who uh, taught me an awful lot about cooking through the years. Is she still around, Adam? She is, she is. She's oh, in Adelaide and she's uh, wow. go, going strong, hitting hitting 90 years old and now with, uh, God, how many, six grandchildren and about eight great-grandchildren. She's um, she, she's, she's a very happy old lady. <laughs> and tell us, what, what was your first cooking memory? Um, I reckon the first thing I ever actively cooked was with my mum and it was yeah. making uh, an Indian... Dessert called gulab jamun. Oh, I yeah. don't know if you've ever had yeah, it. It's basically yeah, deep fried. Yeah, balls of milk deep fried in ghee and then soaked in the syrup of uh, cardamom and, and sugar, essentially. Big flavors. Uh, Big flavors. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of my absolute favourite um, desserts as a kid, and uh, yeah, we we grew up in. I grew up in Malaysia. Uh, was born in Malaysia anyway, um, where there is obviously a, a large Indian community and, and a lot of our. Indian friends would would make that for us. Uh, it's a wonderful to... melting pot of a of a country, isn't it, for cuisines? Yeah, yeah. It's... There's lots of different aspects and facets to it. And I, yeah, you, I, you think about it like even a, today, like a Venn diagram. Oh God, I'm talking about <laughs> yeah. you. Sorry, man. I was thinking, yeah, but like the Venn diagram. If you look at, uh, you've got Indian, you've got Chinese, you've got Malay, you've got uh, the colonial masters, and you know the. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, what an amazing place to to learn. Well, it's a fascinating. I think it's got a lot a lot to do with the way I cook now. Not just because I, I you know I don't just cook Malaysian food, and in fact, I don't cook an awful lot of Malaysian food these days because mm. I, I, I get sidetracked and interested in other things. But um, it's a very new cuisine, but it's still universally loved, and I think that's got a lot to do with my view on authenticity and, uh, you know, a lot of people think that to cook authentically, you've got to cook something like it's been done for 500 years, you know. Yep. My family dish, I would have to say, is probably Hainanese chicken rice, if, uh, and most people have heard of that, most people have had it, it's a classic around Malaysia and Singapore, a very, very simple dish, but it's only been around for, you know, 80 years. My, my grandfather was a, a cook in Malaysia, and he migrated from Hainan at around that time that dish was created. So all of these fabulous dishes from my childhood don't go back 
centuries. They're, they're very authentic dishes, inverted commas around that, mm. uh, um, but they're not old. So I, I think authenticity is a very fluid concept, and I think that encourages me rather than constantly just going back and cooking the same old things again and again and again and cooking things sort of way back in history. I, I don't mind playing around a bit. I don't, I don't mind modernising things. I think that's the only way that we can actually make them truly authentic. Well, we can't always just be cooking from the book of Genesis, can we? You know, exactly. <laughs> it's like, and, and 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 dare we say it? I mean, this marvelous country that we we live in, that um, that is such a well, we're the mongrel nation. Let's face it. We we yeah. we are that we are from everywhere else. We have grabbed so many different. Uh, uh, styles and nationalities of cooking, and and one that actually I found in Big Pot that I, I was kind of surprised about is, salt and pepper squid is sort of almost like a an Australian invention, is it? I, I'd almost say it's getting it close is. to our national dish at this point. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think there's any other dish that you can get in as many different types of places. Sure, you can talk about you can get a meat pie in every street corner, every service yeah. station. Yeah. But if you, if you go to a Vietnamese restaurant or an Italian restaurant or a Chinese restaurant or a cafe or a pub, um, there's probably going to be a variation of salt and pepper squid I'd... on that. So in terms of proper restaurants, I reckon that's our most ubiquitous dish. And you now see it in a freezer space in you know when you're shopping under the fluorescent lights too. Oh, do you? Do yeah, you I've seen. That? I've seen. I'm sure McCain have come out with a like a, and you know it's like oh my bloody hell, it's uh, it, it's it's there as well. Yeah, right. I didn't know that. Anyway, we're move, moving on from that, but um, and that is one of those great things that demonstrates something that we talked about um, a couple of days ago in the, in the fact that you really don't need to complicate things to make them taste great. Yeah, yeah. I I think that uh, you know my my cooking changes a lot um, over the years, and and How so? but the 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 trend. I think you know sometimes I get interested in Italian food, which I am at the moment. Sometimes I get interested in in you know traditional Vietnamese food. Sometimes I want to explore some regional Japanese stuff. You know, I, it, food is 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 fascinating to me. So I often sort of run down these rabbit holes every now and then, and then return back to my old favourites after that. But <laughs> yeah. the, the common trend to, I think, all of my cooking and uh, over, say, the last 10 years has been constant simplification of, of the food that I use. Um, I was... Somebody said the other day, and I can't remember who it was, um, was that they went to Paul Bocuse's restaurant um, a good 20, 30 years ago, and Paul Bocuse had told them, cook with... Cook the dishes that you love, but try it with half the amount of ingredients that you're planned on using. You can be surprised <laughs> at how how much better you can take make it taste by using fewer ingredients. And you know, in in a an actual practical home context, you know, for example, every stir fried dish that I grew up with yes. started with garlic and ginger, pretty much into a into a wok. It's the uh, um, it's the it's almost the the Asian sofrito. Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> yeah. and yet. I don't reckon I've put both garlic and ginger into a dish, into the same dish, for three years now. Really? Yeah, it's it's really strange. Now, I use garlic when I want a garlicky flavour. I use ginger when I want a gingery flavour. Mm-hmm. And I don't just sort of start with that as a fait accompli now when I cook mm-hmm. a lot of Asian food. And, and um, I personally think it's a lot tastier for it, you know, because you can actually get distinctive flavours out of your food. Um 
If we look at and music, like- Adam, if I can just take the ball and run with it and then handball straight back to you. Um, <laughs> we, we use the analogy of music and some of the, uh, the most profound things. Well, we think about a chord of music, and a chord of music is three notes um, vibrating in harmony. Doug's going to come on. He can probably explain it better than I can. But, <laughs> but you know, the most profound things are from just three simple things vibrating harmoniously together. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've ever seen that YouTube video where, um, you know, you have that, that, that chord progression yeah. that um, is the same four chords that are used in pretty much every song you've ever heard in your entire life. It's a uh, comedy, uh, musical the, comedy trio. Not the secret Beatles chord progression. It's, oh, Matt's coming. It's the Axis of Awesome. Yeah, oh, they're the yeah, four chords. Axis of Awesome, yeah. yeah, yeah Axis of Awesome, yeah, all right. They did some fantastic videos where they basically they sing about fifty songs all using the exact same chords. And if you know, if you if anyone plays music and I play a bit of guitar and stuff, and yes, you can play pretty much every song in the world with the same three chords. You put that into a food context, for example, mm. uh, Japanese food. I reckon you can make with with three four ingredients: say sugar, mirin, sake, soy sauce. Uh, and that's pretty much it. So, that, yeah, those four yes. ingredients, yep. I reckon you can probably make a thousand completely different Japanese dishes that taste completely different. You've got Japanese cuisine almost covered. Other yeah, than, other yeah, than the mean, glorification of perfection, perfect ingredients, which is sort of what underpins Japanese cuisine too, isn't and, it? And that's, that's, the, that's the big thing. You know, I yeah. think this is the really big disconnect that we have in our thinking of, of how we taste food. In my opinion, food has three main components, and that's um, seasoning, flavour, and texture. Mm-hmm. And the two most important of those are seasoning and texture, and yet all we ever talk about is flavour when, when it comes to food. And I think flavour is, is just about inconsequential for the theory of cooking. Mm. Um, I spend all of my time concentrating on getting seasoning correctly, get, getting seasoning right, getting, fla- uh, getting texture right, and the flavour is basically that comes down to to what I've decided to cook in the first place. So, you know, I think I was telling the other day, I don't cook with a lot of spices and things anymore Mm. because I like the flavour of the ingredients that I choose. You know, if I go out and buy a really nice piece of steak, the last thing I want to do, and this is what I used to do when when I was 14 and starting to cook, was reach for all the spices in my spice drawer and try and cover this steak or this chicken breast or chicken thigh or whatever in all these different spices... But if I go and buy a nice steak, I want that to taste like a steak. I don't want that to taste like cumin or coriander or all these other spices that I may, may put on top of it. So I guess my focus in cooking now has become a lot more simple by almost completely ignoring flavour. And that sounds like a terrible thing, but when you put your efforts into seasoning first and uh, texture second, flavour kind of takes care of itself. Damn straight. And there's, um, I'm just looking through, I've pulled out some of my, my faves from that, and they're all sort of different textures too. The texture of the Mongolian lamb is so different to the pork and the eggplant to, oh, dare I say it, you've got to, everybody's got to learn how to do this because this is great late at night kimchi fried rice <laughs> yes. with, with an egg on it. That is an absolute go-to for me because I, I travel a lot, and so when I come home and the, the fridge is absolutely bare, mm. odds are there's a tub of kimchi in there somewhere, odds are I've got some rice in the cupboard and that's uh, that's definitely something that, that turns up an awful lot at my house and, and I crumble, crumble some, some nori, toasted nori over the top of it and that's uh, good to go. I'd, um, I'd love to do this again, if, if we may, at, at some stage in the not too distant future, but I do, after hearing all you say about texture, can I just 
bring out one thing, and if you could just tell us a little bit about this pre- uh, preparation, because I think it rocks. Nori butter. <laughs> Nori butter. Mm. Um, it, it's it's a really you know flavored butters. Uh, I have I have two kids, so I'm all about simplifying the 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 evening meal preparation process. Yes. <laughs> and flavored butters are an absolute lifesaver. Uh, you know, I tend to keep a few different kinds in in my uh, uh, freezer, actually, is where I keep them, uh, whether it's throwing it on top of a steak after it's cooked, like a Café de Paris butter or something. Yeah. Or Café de Paris, if you want to say it properly. Um, yes. Uh, nori butter, which I use an awful lot for, you know, even pan-frying fish fillets or a roast chicken, you know, spread that on top of a roast chicken. and you Hey, can I'd even put on, on some pumpkin might be nice. Roasted pumpkin with a bit of nori butter might work. Yeah, that, that, that'd, that'd so be lovely. what's in it? So there's nori sheets that you dry out? Yeah, well, the nori's uh, come, comes already dried, so I tend to just toast that a little bit. I mean, yeah, toasted, um, just, you know, just over an open yeah, flame. Yeah, yeah. Over an open flame, that just bring that gives it a bit more of, of that uh, toasty seaweed flavour. Very, very simple there. Um, I, I do add a couple of little seasonings into it, but you don't actually need all that much. And, you know, at its very basic uh, construction, it's that and butter. And you put those two things together, softened butter, you blend the nori into a, into a, a powder and fold it through butter. And then you've got this, this lovely, uh, toasty, seasoned butter that you can use for just about anything. It exists in the freezer and it can be taken out any time, which is a, a yeah. beautiful thing. Um, Adam, we're going to have to leave you. Um, I thank you so much for your time. Hey, can we talk at some other stage maybe about what we should have? What's in your pantry maybe? That might be an interesting thing to uh, explore. No problems. Happy to, happy to be back on whenever you need me. Really? <laughs> <laughs> See, you have to say that, don't you? <laughs> uh, Adam, Adam, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much for taking um, our call. Look forward to speaking to you in the not-too-distant. No problem. See you. Thanks, mate. This has been a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.